In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, it's now time for part four of eight, our top 80 albums countdown of the year 1973. Let's get right back into it. Coming in at number 50 right here is a guy who, over these years, and I could just say, as I'm getting older, I've come to appreciate this guy's music a whole lot more, especially getting into the early part of this guy's career. This guy had some really killer rock albums in his arsenal. Talking about Bob Seger. So this album right here, despite the fact this being a Bob Seger release, is probably one of the more obscure albums in this entire countdown for 1973. Reason being is because apparently, for all intents and purposes, Bob has kept this album buried. I and He claims that he says he doesn't like the way he sings on it, but I don't know, man. Maybe it's more of a personal thing. It, maybe it has to do with management or some sort of royalty issue or something. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't happy when he recorded it. But this is a cool rock album, man. The album's called Back in 72, which I'm assuming is because that's the year it was recorded in because it came out right at the top of 73. Produced by a guy named Punch Andrews, who I believe was his manager. So I guess in kind of a Bill Ham move. And that could lead into maybe some of the thing about the negativity of it. I don't know. I'm speculating at this point. There's not a whole lot of information without me just reading a straight up biography on Bob here, but I can tell you, like I said, this is a cool rock album. Bob at this point in his career personifying just working class Detroit garage rock, doing it real well. 
That last album he did in 72 was pretty much all covers, which is why it wasn't on the list for the albums. But I did play it for the odds and ends. This one, there is three covers on here, but three out of nine, that still makes it a proper album, I think. The album kicks off with a cool cover of The Almond's Midnight Rider. He does a free cover on here, and he does a Van Morrison cover on here. But I'm not going to play any of the covers. Uh, the other big thing of note is it's got the original version the original studio version of Turn the Page, which, yeah, you never heard that one on the radio, did you? You've always heard the one off of Live Bullet, never the one off of Back in 72. This one right here, once again, another song. I was very surprised to be like, oh, that's the original version. So here you go. We're kicking off this show today, and to represent the number 50 album, the album is called Back in 72. This is Bob Seger with Rosalie. Oh, 
kicking off the show here today and breaking us into the top 50 of the top 80 albums of 1973 from the album back in 72 that was bob seeger with rosalie if you're any kind of music fan you'd recognize that as a thin lizzie song which makes total sense we all would be totally right in the sense of thinking yes that's a thin lizzie song because once again bob kept this album buried I never checked the songwriting credits for this song. I just assumed that Phil wrote every damn lyric he ever sang, Dancing in the Moonlight aside. But no, Rosalie, it was a Bob Seger song. It was a song, if you don't know the background on this, it's got a neat background to it. Uh, The song was written about a DJ. Uh, She worked for a Canada station, which, if memory serves me correct, I've read about this station a lot because it got a lot of traction in the northern parts of America as well. They could catch it up there. Uh, This lady named Rosalie Trumbly, and she's credited with breaking a lot of bands around that time. And I remember that she was like the first one to really play Alice Cooper on the reg. So helping out a lot of bands from Michigan that were getting the ears of people in Canada. So the station, I have it in front of me here because I can never remember call letters unless I grew up on them. CKLW AM Radio in Windsor, Ontario. And that was for Rosie, who was a great fan of rock music with really good taste apparently so it's really cool that bob wrote that tribute to her like a lot of bob records there's a lot of different musicians coming in and out and playing on these records but the drums on that song was played by a guy named jamie aldecker which if you are a super psychotic kiss nerd like i am in a sense you'll recognize that name as that's the guy that replaced Anton Figg in Fraley's Comet. He came in during the second Fraley's Comet album, played drums, and then the tour there. So, yeah, everything leads back to Kiss, right? And by the way, Kiss said that out of all the bands they ever toured with in the 70s, the only opening act that made them step it up once they became a headliner was Bob Seger. Like, if Bob was opening for us, we knew we had to bring our absolute A-game every time. It was the only band that could potentially blow us off the stage was bob seeger and the silver bullet band in case you didn't know that fun fact and with everything leading back to kiss of course coincidentally album number 49 belongs to argent which there's a lot of ties in there with rod argent kiss opened for argent early on in their career and got apparently thrown off the argent tour but they maintained friendships with some of the guys in the band And they would go on to rewrite and re-record slash cover a song that comes off of this album right here called In Deep. Really cool album that stands out in the Argent catalog. And I think Argent is a underappreciated band in rock history. They have a lot of good albums. So good, in fact, that I'm not even going to play the original God Gave Rock and Roll to you to represent In Deep, even though it's on this album. Got another song in mind for you, just to give you a little bit of a different angle on what to expect. I think you should check this album out. Once again, the album is called In Deep. This is Argent with Losing Hold. Losing hold, everything just falls away. It's wrong that you should have to stay if you want to go. It's clear to me From everything you do somehow Care is just a word right now Lost in all you say
everything just falls away it's wrong that you should have to A-side closer right there from Argent's In Deep album. That was Losing Hold. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you go check out some Argent stuff. I mean, it's pretty quality stuff in my opinion. You got Rod Argent right in there who just came off of the Zombies a few years ago. And Russ Ballard, one of the great writers in my opinion. They just had a really cool band that I think has gone largely ignored, but they shouldn't be. Okay. Coming in at album number 48 right here. A little bit of a surprise for me because I never was a big fan of this guy, but he's got something, man. A couple of his records are actually pretty damn cool. This guy here, Robin Trower. Of course, great guitar player, known for being a great guitar player. A little blues rock kind of thing going on right here. But it's not the Bridge of Size album. This is actually his debut solo album called Twice Removed from Yesterday. So not bad at all for a debut right here. This album came out in March of 73, produced by a guy named Matthew Fisher, who Matthew actually is credited as the organ player on the track I'm going to feature right here for the album. And another fun fact about that guy, not only did he play organ on this song, but he played the organ on the original Whiter Shade of Pale by Procol Harum. So another fun fact right there. Just adds a little something extra to the song, but this is definitely my favorite song off the album. Nice little mellow jam right here. 
So, from twice removed from yesterday, this is Robin Trower with the aptly titled Daydream.
Robin Trower with the number 48 album here of 1973. Twice removed from yesterday is the name of the album, and that was Daydream. Cool track right there. Coming in at album number 47 right here is courtesy of our friends from north of the border over there in Canada, the April Wine, one of the great Canadian rock bands of all time. They're under their third album right here in 1973, an album called Electric Jewels. It was produced by a guy named Ralph Murphy which, according to his bio, is mostly known as a country guy, but turned into a cool sound and rock album right here with Electric Jewels. I've been appreciating April Wine a lot more over the last decade or so, so it's interesting to see how they sound here in the early stages of their career. And not a bad record at all. You know, Doing pretty well on the countdown right here. Uh, this one right here upon my immediate listen, and it happened to be my first listen ever of this record here. This is definitely my favorite song on the record, so check it out. Here's some April wine. And this song is called Just Like That.
nice straight ahead early 70s rock and roll right there courtesy of april wine that was just like that from the album electric jewel coming in album number 46 right here another band that knows how to do great traditional rock and roll in the early 70s was fog hat who another band i've come to appreciate a little bit more over the years never really paid them much mind but uh, my new friend rick He's a, he's a big Foghat guy, so he got me on their live album, and that was a great recommendation. Thank you very much there, Rick. Good guy right there, a true lifer, true rock and roller right there. So if he's going to recommend something, I'm going to check it out. So I'm glad he did, and I kept even more of an open mind when it came to the sophomore album here by Foghat, which technically is a self-titled album, just like their first album, but... Apparently, it's been kind of nicknamed over the years by their fan base as the album called Rock and Roll. The reason they call it that is because on the album cover, there's a picture of a rock right next to a picture of a bread roll. So, there, there you have it. Basic AF. <laughs> but much like the music, which is not a bad thing. And this was definitely an enjoyable listen. This album came out here on March 1st of 73, produced by a guy named Tom Dawes. And yeah, I mean, just like a lot of these, I can't really get that deep about it. Nothing I can really tell you upon listening. I would say it's just good straight ahead rock and roll. So I, I apologize if I'm being a bad host, but I think this music is cool enough. It'll just speak for itself. And we're doing a countdown here. I do have to knock these out in short fashion. <laughs> uh, but yes, I hope you enjoy this song right here. This is the one that stuck out for me. And as my friend Elsie would say, third song. Yeah, there you go. Hit it on the third song. My favorite song on this album is the third track, and this one's called Long Way to Go.
All right, a little fog hat right there with Long Way to Go from their second eponymous album right there. That one hit at number 46 on our countdown, and we get over to number 45 with Scotland's finest, Nazareth, right here. Man, what a great band. Yet another massively criminally underappreciated band in America. They're known for two songs exactly, which is a shame because they have so much great rock and roll to get into your ears, and you should definitely check them out. So, in 73, they're on their third album, just hitting their stride, at least from a successful chart standpoint. Finally getting on the boards with Razmanaz, and it would be so easy for me to go with the title track, because it's definitely the most popular song on the record, as far as, like, fan base goes. It's been covered by a lot of notable rock acts, Oh, and before all that, I should tell you, this album came out in May of 73, at least in the European countries. It came out in the United States towards the end of the summer. And very notably, it was produced by Roger Glover of Deep Purple. It turned in a great sounding album here. So I I would assume part of the formula of the overall success of this album, uh, some credit should go to Roger Glover. But man, what a talented band. And of course, Jesus, man. This whole band is just such an amazing collective of just killer, throw-it-the-fuck-down kind of rock and roll players. Manny Charlton was an amazing guitar player, and Dan McCafferty, one of a kind. Just one of those howlers, and he could have only have been a rock and roll singer in his life. I'm glad that he did do that, because you listen to this voice, and it's like, man, I'm glad you didn't do anything else but this, because you were effing great at it, so... Yeah, let's get into some Nazareth right here. Like I said, I was tempted to go with the title track, but I went a little deeper on the album because when I was listening to it, I'm like, man, I'm going to feature that on the show because I really like this one. So, from Razmanaz, this is Nazareth with Sold My Soul.
Ah, yeah, what a burner that is right there. Soul My Soul by Nazareth from their breakout album, Razmanaz. More on them later. Let's get to the next album right here. Coming in at number 44 is The Prince of Motown, Mr. Marvin Gaye, the late great Marvin Gaye. His album, Let's Get It On, of course, yeah, I would say Let's Get It On. That's synonymous. That term is synonymous with Marvin Gaye. Of course, one of the most famous songs ever, not just of 1973 or of soul music, but definitely an all-timer. And that song's almost so good that it does sort of take away from the rest of the album. It kicks off the record, and they're just like, man, that one was really good. And I'm sure a lot of people just would just put the needle back on that one for sure. Not that the rest of the album is bad by any means. It's quite a good record. I think it did 80-ish points or so for my scoring. Uh, but I'm going to go with this one right here. If you actually bothered to flip over the record, the kickoff track of the B-side was quite good. Nice little shuffle right here. So let's get into some Marvin Gaye with Come Get to This. never go wrong with a little Marvin Gaye in your life right there but yes that was come get to this from the classic album let's get it on not a perfect album but not bad either good enough to make it into the top 50 here of our top 80 albums of 1973 countdown 
So we head into album number 43 right here with something completely different. Uh, this album definitely had a big influence on a lot of the burgeoning heavy metal at the time, despite the fact that this is not a metal band. But you can hear the influence and musically that they had on metal bands, I guess on the proto-metal generation, but bands to come, like all the way from Dream Theater to Tool, have a lot of love for this band right here, King Crimson. In 73, they're here on their fifth album that they put out on March 23rd. Now I'm called Larks, Tongues, and Aspic. Yes, definitely a prog album. Self-produced, and I think this is kind of the point in their career where they had pretty much permanently drawn that line in the sand, like, we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. And in this case, it's like, we want to do a lot of improv and do a lot of jazzy type arrangements and, you know, be heavy every now and then. But yeah, basically, we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. But definitely that influence on a lot of offbeat bands that leaned on the heavier side of things. You can hear it all over this album. It's not the easiest listen in the world, but I definitely appreciate it as somebody who was in drumline before and just, you know, likes to hear good players on a record. But anybody else, if I was going to get people into Crimson, I'd probably just recommend there's about two or three records to maybe get into. Otherwise, just getting like a best of or something like that. So this is definitely a release that's a little more for hardcore fans. It's hard to put a song off of this record onto something like a countdown, but I think I did my best with this one right here. Because Book of Saturday, it's almost too short to play on a show. And this one, it's not short at all, but I think it's probably the best standalone song, if you will on this whole record. So, to represent this album, Lark's Tongues and Aspic, here is King Crimson with the kickoff track of their second side of this record called Easy Money.
While far from being easy listening, that was definitely at least Easy Money by King Crimson off of Larks, Tongues, and Aspic. I've been saying that album title slow because I tried to say it a couple times early on real fast. Like I do normally talk, I just fucked it up every time. But I do dig that tune and I do like that album. But like I said, you probably have to be a pretty big fan of that band to overall enjoy the album per se. Uh, here's something that I feel should be probably enjoyable enough for everybody. The song I'm going to play at least off of this next album, coming in at album number 42 on the top 80 of 1973, is this one right here by, I guess now, of course, in retrospect, the controversial act, but I wasn't going to cancel him out of this countdown. Ike and Tina Turner with what I believe to be, I think, their 16th studio album at this point called Nutbush City Limits. It came out in November of 73, produced by Ike Turner. Not going to put over Ike all that much. I know he's got his place in musical history. Unfortunately, he does. He played on a lot of early rock classics and definitely broke Tina Turner into the public spotlight for sure. But thankfully, Tina definitely had all the talent and presence to be a force on her own, and she remained that way until the day she retired. Everybody going to love her when she's gone, I'll tell you that much. But I freaking love Tina, one of the great singers of all time. And man, if you didn't know how much she could fucking rock, it is all over on this song right here. I don't know if this song is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because they do put songs in there. But if it's not, then I'm just going to go burn the whole place down right now. Till then, you're going to enjoy this one. And it's going to be real abrasive and loud, but just turn it up anyway, because man, it, it rules. So... From the album of the same name. This is Icatina Turner with Nutbush City Limits. Here we go.
There you have it right there. Icatina with Nutbush City Limits. If you know about this fact, so back when Brian Johnson uh, was doing one of his auditions that, of course, eventually got him the lead singer slot in ACDC after Bon Scott passed away, the story is that Bon Scott named Brian as his successor in the band, but there were still auditions to be had. I know they looked at a few other guys in the just-in-case kind of thing, but... The story goes, Brian's audition for ACDC was playing a whole lot of Rosie, but he also picked that song right there to play, Nutbush City Limits. Wouldn't you love to have a recording of Brian Johnson and ACDC doing that song? That's got to just be the jam of all time. Man, I would love to hear that. I hope the tape exists somewhere. Maybe it'll show up at some point on some box set. But hey, great tune right there. And if only... That song did not include a cover of the absolutely terrible song, Drift Away. I fucking hate that song so much. You know that song. Give me the big balls, burn my soul. That fucking horrible piece of shit song. Yeah, they covered that on here. And that's happened on a few other records, actually, in 73. Because it was already a big hit right there a year or two prior. But yeah, they covered that song. So that gets you a big fat zero. And really hurts your standings when I'm scoring your record. So, yeah, that is a personal taste thing. But, yeah, that's why Nutbush City Limits isn't higher on my list, on full disclosure. There is actually a good cover on there where they re-record Tina's River Deep Mountain High, something she did in the 60s with Phil Spector. And I, I know that Ike was not happy that she collaborated with Phil Spector, <laughs> another piece of shit. <laughs> Guess they could smell their own. But they did have Tina re-record that on this album. Not as good as the original, but you know, pretty cool still. So that's a notable cover on that album as well. But yeah, I would say check out the album, but avoid Drift Away. Let's move on here. Last song of the night of this episode. Album number 41 is the most successful album in America by this Dutch band right here, Golden Earring. Yes, they broke through to America with Radar Love, rightfully so. That is a great song. It's a reason you hear that song every day still on the radio. It is a classic rock and roll song. Definitely up there. And I was just expecting it to be like, okay, this is, you know, like a lot of people, this is going to carry the album and everything. But I got to say, the whole album kept my interest pretty well. But those band, they, they kind of just did this. They dealt in long songs for the most part. It is a five-song record, <laughs> so, but it's full length. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, the original release, there's six songs on there. And the one that we got in America is five songs. That's <laughs> still a difference between, like, 38 and 40 minutes or something like that. But yeah, it's a cool fucking rock album, though, I gotta say. I'd recommend checking it out if you've never heard anything else besides the two songs by Golden Earring, which would be Radar Love and Twilight Zone. Give this one a listen right here. Moon Tan. If you could find the original copy of the album, you could find the original non-band album cover, the original cover that has the fan dancing lady on there going full Monty, or the second release has the golden earring on the side of someone's head, which one you think is more fun to look at. So yes, this album right here, Moontan, like I said, good rock album and long songs, and this will be no exception, but hey, we're closing off the show, so let's close off with a long epic right here. So here is Golden Earring from Moontan and this song right here, Vanilla Queen. (laughs) 
Well, in simple English, I'm... Closing off the show here tonight, album number 41, Moon Tan by Golden Earring. That was Vanilla Queen to close off the show there. And the Golden Earring, not a 70s band, by the way. I always say whatever decade you started in, they were a 60s band that just happened to become successful in the 70s. That was their ninth studio album at that point in 73. Before they finished up, they would go on to put out 25 studio albums, so a lot to dive into but as we go on here i'm at least going to be in for the rest of the duration here and let's see how well they do on these future countdowns so hope you've enjoyed this episode i know i have we're going to crack the top 40 on the next episode so that means we're exactly halfway through this countdown 
Join me on the next one, won't you? Until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.